I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on different subjects on Wednesday at 2.30 to 3 o'clock. First of all, I read emails from around the world and around the country. And I'm trying to tell you some things about what the Bible says about words and what they mean. And I've been teaching on Wednesday. We don't meet. I haven't called the congregation in to meet on Sundays until this coronavirus is settled or something is uh, rectified in it. And I don't know what what's going to happen, but we meet on Wednesday at, at 2.33 and Saturday at 2.33. And then Mike plays the tapes Wednesday night and Sunday morning. And I've been talking about the Sabbath. Sabbath does not mean seventh. There was more than a weekly Sabbath in Israel. You had a every holy day was a Sabbath. Uh, Nisan ten. Nisan is our month, March April. March April, and Nisan was the first of their year. It was called a Bib in ancient Israel. And then they adapted the the uh, Babylonian calendar, Nisan, and Nisan 10, or excuse me, Nisan 14, 14 was Passover. And then Passover, 50 days after Passover, was Pentecost. Pent means five and it had that's reason it was 50 days after and they named it Pentecost I don't believe in Pentecostalism but I believe in Pentecost that was the feast of first fruits and they had to wave a sheaf of the first fruits before God that was a ritual And they offered, and every one of these festivals was a Sabbath. Not only was Passover a Sabbath, but the first day after Passover was the beginning of the Feast of First Fruits. The first day, so you had you had a Sabbath on Passover, and you had a Sabbath the day after Passover, and then seven days later. They had the end of that seventh day festival was also a Sabbath, and you had a Sabbath on Pentecost, and then on down the road at Tishri. Tishri was uh, Tishri was a Sabbath, and that was the tenth day of the seventh month, September October. And that was the end of the harvest. This was the beginning of the harvest. Now, what happened to these to these holy days? They they were all the rituals of these holy days were nailed to the cross. The Bible says so. In fact, the Bible says if you look at if you look at at Colossians, Colossians. Now I said while I was reading the uh, while I was reading the emails, I was talking about. Let me 
get over here. Mike, this thing is not working. Can you come and get it working for me? Yeah, we can try. Huh? We can try. I don't know what happened. If I press something. All right. Well, let me go ahead and be talking to you. And I said to you while I was reading the emails that the Pharisees had the laws of their halakha. And they said if a Gentile person wanted to come to Israel and be a member of the kingdom of God, which was a term for Israel, and that was the reason for that, is God was their king, kingdom of God. And at the time of Christ, they changed it to kingdom of heaven because the Jews did not want to bring reproach upon the name of God about 200 B.C., so they would write the word G-D. And in and in Matthew, Matthew says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Luke says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of God. That's one of the reasons people say Matthew was probably written for the believing Jew. Now, in the Halakha, the Pharisees, I'm not going to explain all that. That would take me an hour and a half. But in the Halakha, the verbal law of the Pharisees, they said a Gentile had to be circumcised, washed in water, and then offered two turtle doves at the temple, and that would make them a member of the kingdom of God. Well, Colossia was a Gentile church. Well, this is very important to understand. And he says here in verse 11, Speaking of Christ, in whom also ye are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now we're in a spiritual circumcision. And then he then he says, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. So circumcision is now spiritual. A Jew is not outwardly, but of the heart, Paul said in Romans, the second chapter. Then he says, buried with him in baptism. Man, that's not water. The circumcision is spiritual. Therefore, the water has to be spiritual. It has to be the blood. Besides that, if you go into McClinic and Strong, you take the T volume, look up tomb. They will tell you that buried with him in baptism to put a man six feet under in the ground would be alien to Jewish thought. They said they didn't bury people in the ground. Any self-respecting Jew would be buried in a tomb over here. It had an opening to it, and he'd be placed on a little table somewhere in it, and he would be buried in a tomb. And to say buried with him in baptism meant to bury six feet under. They said that's alien to us. So besides that, baptized means to cover with a stain or die. If you're actually going to bury somebody in baptism with Christ, then you'd have to get a fan, blow a big wall of water, and stain it and dye it with some coloring, and dip a man sideways. 
I don't believe in water baptism at all. And I was dipped in water about six or eight times by my father and a couple other preachers because I was afraid when I was a kid I wasn't doing things right. So he says, buried with him in spiritual baptism. Notice this. This is the exact same method. They said they had to circumcise a man first, then wash him in water. And then, so you got circumcision here and a washing. But you got a spiritual, a spiritual circumcision and a spiritual baptism. Buried with him in baptism, wherein you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins, Colossian Gentile church, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened. Z-O-O-P-O-I-E-O. So you are made, made, poeo, alive. Without circumcision of the flesh, without baptism of the flesh, and quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Then he says those magic words. Blotting out, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances, dogma, rituals. They had all kinds of rituals in in the Passover, in Pentecost, and all of those, and in Tishri, the Tishri was the month of in the Feast of Ingathering. Another name for that was the Feast of Huts or Feast of Tabernacles. And coupled with that was the Day of Atonement on Tishri 10. That's the Day of Atonement. So, all the rituals of these things were brought out. How did they do that? It was an old ancient custom. It was a custom that when you want to do with way with one contract, I've said this, I don't know how many times, hundreds of times. When you want to do away with one contract, you'd take the two contracting, original contracting parties out in public. They had to have two witnesses to every contract. They'll tell you that. The Bible will tell you that in Numbers 35. Deuteronomy 17 and Deuteronomy the 19th chapter. They had to have two witnesses. They'd take the two witnesses, the two contracting parties, everybody in agreement, are we going to invalidate this contract? They'd say yes, and they'd drive a nail through it. That held up in course just like a notarized document. When we notarize a doctor, document, we punch holes in it just like they did. It originated with them. And that's when it says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. That's it. And then the sacrifice he goes on to say was Christ. So we are in a spiritual Passover. I teach on the spiritual Passover. I'm not going to go into it. I, I got too many things to do. So we're talking about everything is now spiritual. The Sabbath is spiritual. How do we enter into the Sabbath?
Sabbath means rest. And what we do, we put on, we put on, the word is put on. It's one word in the Greek. E-N-D-U-O. Enduo. Means to sink into clothing. To sink into clothing. That's what we put on. And when you find this over in... You find put on... Put on. You can go over here to put on. All right. You're going to find this all over the New Testament. Whenever Matthew six twenty five says, "Take no thought what you'll eat or what you'll drink, or what you will put on in duo, in duo," and then. John the Baptist came, Mark 1 and 6, he came clothed with camels. Our clothed with is in duo, E-N-D-U-O. And then when you go over uh, in, uh, you go to, let's look at Galatians. And there's no way this can mean water baptism. Galatians 3. Galatians 3. 27. Galatians 3. 27. And when the Bible says, For as many of you as have been baptized in blood into Christ have put on Christ. Put on is the word in duo. And then when he says over here in, let's go over here to Ephesians. Ephesians. Same words. Ephesians. And we go to the fourth chapter. Now we've been talking about the opposite of put on is what you are to put off. And put off is where you rest. And what you put off is your sin. Or you put off works. What you do on the Sabbath is you put off works of the flesh. We'll look at this. Each time you have, you've got where you put on Christ, you've got these chapters, Romans 7, you've got Ephesians 4, and you have Colossians 3, and you've got some other chapters where you put on, put on Christ, and you put off the flesh put off works of the flesh. Let me, before I go reading in this, let me go back to the original words over here. I'll come back to this. But let's go back to Hebrews. Hebrews, the third chapter. 
actually the fourth chapter, because all through Hebrews, the third chapter, the Bible is talking about the Bible is talking about how Israel murmured against God when they were in the wilderness. Did you not get that work in my? Huh? What happened with the? Okay. When Israel left, when they left Egypt, when they left Egypt and they came into the wilderness. If this is Egypt, here's the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean Sea. Here's Israel. And this is the Sinai Peninsula. When they came into the... Here's Egypt. This is Egypt over here. That's the Delta land. This is the Nile River. When they came into... Well, they came into this... Into this... Delta... Into the uh, Sinai Peninsula. They come down here to Sinai. Moses gets the law and they take off and leave. And they get up here to Kadesh Barnea. And God tells them to go in and conquer the land of Anak. And that's the Anakims, or those giant men. And that's the same thing that we call the Gaza Strip, or the ancient land of the Philistines. And they at Kadesh, God tells them to go in and to conquer these men. But they... But... Moses says, go in for 40 days and check the land out. And when they come back, they say, we can't go in. Those people are too big. They're giants. We're like grasshoppers in their sight. So God says, what I'm going to do, I'm going to kill everybody 20 years old and upward. Why 20 years old? That's in the 14th chapter of Numbers. Numbers 14, I will kill That was military age in Israel. Military age. And they all said, we cannot conquer them. And God called that provoking God. And when the Bible says they provoke God, they provoke God through unbelief. And that's in Hebrews Hebrews gives you a short account of their visit here in the wilderness. And for 40 years they wandered in the wilderness. Then they came up and they crossed and they took possession of the land. But everyone 20 years old and upward in the military, God says, I'll kill them because of their unbelief. Unbelief is the word A-P-I-S in the Greek. A-P-I-S-T-I-S. Pistis is the word faith. Believe is the word P-I-S-T-E-U-O. The alpha, as an alpha primitive, negates the word. It means no belief or unbelief. means no faith. And the Bible says in Deuteronomy in the 23rd chapter, that these people did not have any belief. They had no faith. Anytime you see no faith, you can write it down this way. A, P, 
I-S-T-I-S. The Alpha Primitive negating faith means no faith. So, they were in unbelief. Now, what we've done, we've taken the word unbelief and found other words that are equal to this. The Bible says that when God came to Abraham, there in Romans, the third chapter, and says that Abraham... He said, Abraham, you're going to have a child. Now, Abraham was 99 years old. He did not have any seed or any sperm anymore. And that that Sarah was 89, and she didn't ovulate anymore. She, could, she couldn't have children. But God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to have a child. And you're going to be 100 years old when he's born, and Sarah's going to be 90. And the Bible says in Romans, Romans, the the fourth chapter, verse 18 and 19, that Abraham staggered not at the promise of God, and he should have staggered through unbelief so you can take the word staggered or the word doubt if you'll not doubt in your heart it's the same word as staggered and unbelief is the word A-P-I-S-T-I-S no no faith staggered is the word diacrino so you can define diacrino staggering as apistus, unbelief. And wherever you find the word diacrino, diacrino comes from dia. And crino, crino is the word, common word in the New Testament, judge. Dia means to become the channel of judging. So when you become the channel or the method of judging, you're doing the judging. You're doing the exact opposite. When God says, judge not, that you be not judged. Diacrino is when you judge and you discriminate about what's right and what's wrong. Discriminate. Um, Discriminate. So when you discriminate, and the Bible says... When it says judge not, it don't mean don't judge. When you start a sentence with a verb, there's an understood subject, you. Don't you judge. And I've had people say, you're judging all these preachers. I'm supposed to judge, but I'm supposed to use God's judgment. That word judge, crino, means to decide Decide guilt. But it don't just mean decide guilt. It means decide guilt or innocent. You're not supposed to figure out who's innocent when you say, don't judge that man that's lying. You're supposed to judge. John 7.24 tells us, 724, don't look at the outward appearance of a man and judge him by what he looks like. Say he's innocent because he's 
very glib and he's very handsome and she's very pretty. You're not supposed to be judging people that way. You're supposed to judge righteously. Judge righteous judgment. John seven twenty four says, don't look at the outward appearance. Judge righteous judgment. Judge God's judgment. That's what we're supposed to do. Most people don't even know this is here. And in John, in, in Matthew 7, I've had people say, the Bible says you're not supposed to judge. I say, no, it doesn't. <laughs> My mother-in-law, you say, you're not supposed to judge. I said, yeah, you are. She said, the Bible says judge not. I said, no, it doesn't say that. It didn't say what she meant. And she'd say, I'd say, where does it say that? And she'd say, I don't know what's in there somewhere. <laughs> and I would, and I just pick at her, and uh, I'd say, "You think maybe it's in Matthew seven and one?" And she didn't want to talk to him anymore. She was just an old country woman, and she would go to church, but she didn't know a lot. And most people don't know when they quote Matthew seven and one, they don't even know nothing about John seven twenty four, and that's a judge righteous judgment. So does Matthew 7 and 1 says, Judge not, for what judgment you judge, you'll be judged. If you declare everybody innocent and people guilty according to your opinion, then you are judging. And we're not supposed to be doing that. Now let's get back to where I was talking over here. Now, when the Bible says to put on Let's go over here to Ephesians. Let me give you this. Put on. I've got put on all through the Bible, all through the New Testament. Every time the Bible says a man is clothed with something, look at Romans thirteen fourteen. Romans thirteen fourteen, And we'll look at all these. I'm going to look at several places you got put on. Put on. And you got to remember... Unbelief has to do with what we're putting on. I got so many things to say about this. Let me straighten out before I go further into this. Let me go back to our original text that we've been talking about. Hebrews, the third chapter, is talking about unbelief is staggering. Unbelief. Unbelief is staggering, dear Crino, and unbelief is also murmured against God. Now let's look here in Hebrews, the Hebrews, the third chapter. All through the third chapter is talking about Israel murmuring against God. I'll, I'll read a little bit of this in the third chapter of Hebrews. And read here in verse 8. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. It's talking about when they were at Kadesh Barnea. When they were here, they murmured against God and said, we can't go in there and conquer the enemy. What amazes me, just recently before that, God had killed the, destroyed the greatest army in Israel when they crossed the, the Red Sea. He had destroyed the greatest army in the world, and all they were afraid of was a few giants up here. 
now. So he says, your father's tipped me and proved me and saw my works 40 years. And he said, you haven't known my ways in verse 10. And he says in verse 11, so I swear in my wrath. (sighs) Doesn't say my wrath. Not in the original text. That shows you some of the errors that the translators did. It says, te... O R G Ada. Anytime the Ada is on the end of a word, it's feminine gender. It's Te is the. They took a definite article, feminine gender, and made it imply a personal pronoun, masculine gender. You can't do that, but the translators did. And I believe that's where half the translators were Roman Catholic. I believe the Roman Catholics snuck that in, but they did that a bunch of times. In the orge. Orge was the wrath of anger and revenge or covetous. It was the people that... They were angry at Moses in the 14th chapter and say, let's get us a leader to take us back to Egypt. We're tired of this wilderness. Moses and Aaron brought brought us out here to die. Well, that's unbelief. And then he talks about, I swore in the wrath of the people that they should not enter into my kataposis. That is a word that expresses the... Pauses comes from our word pause and kata means down it means to settle down and that refers to the Sabbath and the Sabbath was talking about the spiritual Sabbath was talking about when they entered into the land of Canaan now now let's go on, let's go to the end of the chapter in verse 18, to whom swear he that they could not enter into his rest, into his catapasis? So he connects the rest of God, which is the Sabbath, which is entering into Canaan with unbelief. But he says, but to them that believed not. They had unbelief because they couldn't enter into the rest of God. Then he says... So we see that they could not enter in because of A-P-I-S-T-I-S, A-P-I-S-T-I-S, no faith, no faith. Now, let's get down to where we were. Let's get down to verse 8 of chapter 4. I can't go through this, all this every time. For if Jesus had given them kataposis, then would he not afterwards have spoken of another day? There remaineth therefore the rest to the people of God. That word rest is not like any other word rest in these two chapters. That word rest is sabbatismos, S-A-B-B-A-S-T-I-S-M-O-S. It's the word Sabbath. There is a Sabbath to the people of God. He's directly connecting Kataposis with the Sabbath, talking about the people entering into Canaan. 
And then he says, There remaineth therefore the rest, the Sabbath of the people of God, for he that is entered into his kataposis, rest, he hath ceased, he hath ceased from his own works. He has ceased from his he has ceased from his own ergon. Ergon is a common word to toil. Now what is the toil of man in the flesh? Are you going to fix that for me? Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Now let's look back at chapter 5 of Galatians. Here's the toil of God. This is what leads me into these other chapters that I wrote down. It leads me into into Ephesians 4. It leads me into putting on as opposed to putting off. Ephesians 4 and Galatians 5, Colossians 3, and Romans 7. It leads us into these chapters here. Now, look here. In Ephesians and Galatians, you got it back, didn't you? You need to show us how to do that. <laughs> okay, well, you can show us that after afterwards. Now, he says here, in verse 29 of chapter 5, I'm not going to go through it. I've gone through all of these. Now the works of the flesh are these, the ergon. Works, ergon. The Bible says when a man enters into the Sabbath, he ceases his own ergon there in Hebrews 4. Here's the works of the flesh. These two things are an opposite of each other. The works of the flesh of flesh are in opposition to the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of Spirit are the works of God in you. Are the work of Christ. It, the works of the flesh are in opposition to the work of Christ in you. The work of Christ, you enter into a spiritual Sabbath or you begin to rest. I've found out the older you get, at 81, I don't want the sin I used to want. Don't want it. I am not interested in a new car. I drive whatever my wife don't want. That's what I drive. She says, I want to drive that, and you drive this. I say, okay. That's why I'm driving that little Mini Cooper. My wife is four foot seven. She has to. People have griped and complained because she's always had little sports cars. I used to have a a big town car in 1987, and she couldn't see through the steering wheel. That she, there's no way she could. She said, "I hate that car," so I never had her drive it. And she. She had a little 914 Porsche. It was an old one. which She gave $3,000 for it. Some people grab and say, she bought a Porsche. She bought a 914 that was about 10 or 12 years old. 
She had a little triumph one time. She had a little Mustang. She's had a Miata that sat under the carport, and we never drove it. And I said, we've got to get rid of that. So finally she said, okay. And so she had a little Geostorm. That was a little bitty car. And she said, I want one of those Mini Coopers. I said, all right. So she went out and bought it herself. She always bought her own cars. I didn't, the ministry didn't buy anything for her. And she, the ministry's been accused of that when she buy these little sport cars. We never did. I wouldn't go buy her a car. Cause she always had her own money to do it. So she bought a Mini Cooper. It's set for a year, of, no, for about five years. She ought to never drive it because she couldn't see over the steering wheel. And the only thing she's been able to see is out of a RAV4, that old 2000 RAV4. She said, you take the Mini Cooper, I want the RAV4 back. I said, okay. So I started driving the Mini Cooper. It's uh, 2009, we bought it new. It's got 18,000 actual miles on it. That's all. Because she would never drive it for five years. So in case some of you say well, the minister bought her those cars, they did not. <laughs> I'm not going to buy her cars. She had her own money to do that with. So I, I buy her. I just take whatever she don't want. And I, she can trade in what she wants to trade in. And that's her business, not mine. So I take what's left. To me, a car is from getting from this point to this point. Now, when I was young, I would have loved to have those sports cars, but I wouldn't even drive them when she had them. It's like riding. It's like sitting on the ground. Boom, boom, boom. You get every bump. Don't want one. I'm tired of them. I'm tired of being young. I don't want the things I want when I was young. Just don't want it. Don't even want to go fishing anymore. I used to love to go fishing, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to go to the fair. If you want to make, if you want to give me a choice between being beat with a whip out here in the parking lot or going to the fair, I'll take the whip every time. <laughs> I just don't. I don't want to go down that midway. I, no. And I used to love to go when I was fifteen. It's good for walking. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to walk out. I go to the. I go to. The, I go to the. Down here at Rivergate and walk. <laughs> I just can't stand. Hey, come here, buddy. I got something free for you. I don't want nothing free. That's what I always tell them. Don't want nothing free. <laughs> anyway, so the works of the spirit. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Let me erase some of this so I can. Put this on the board. I'm trying to get to putting on is putting on the Sabbath. When you put on Christ, you put on the baptism. A blood baptism was a death. Jesus tells James and John over there in Mark, the 10th chapter, he's going to die the next day. Can you be baptized with a baptism I'm baptized with? What he's talking about, can you die the death? That's what he's saying. A blood baptism was a death. When you look up cup in McClinic and Strong, the C volume, it'll tell you that drink of a cup meant to taste death. 
When Jesus took the cup and said, this cup is the New Testament in my blood, I'm going to get back to that Saturday. A testament was the same thing, same word as a covenant, diatheke, D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E. It means a last will and testament. You had to be dead. The testator had to be dead before the, the testament was any force. That's what Hebrews the ninth chapter tells us. So he wasn't saying to them, I want you to drink the cup tonight. They were in a Passover, but they were performing a contract. It just amazes me how little preachers know about contracts or even the Bible. Now, so when you see the works of this flesh are these, and it goes into adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, and then it goes into the opposite. And those that do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven there in verse 21. Then verse 22 says, but, but means in opposition to the works of the flesh, of flesh, is the opposite of that, opposite of works of the flesh, is fruit of the Spirit. And you're going to have all of these chapters. You're going to have Romans 7. You're going to have more than this, but this is where it's named specifically works of the flesh. And then in Galatians 5, it says works of the flesh. Works of flesh is in opposition to fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit is the same thing as going into the spiritual Sabbath. And then when you get to Colossians, the third chapter... Colossians, the third chapter, is going to tell you, mortify the deeds of the flesh. And mortify, we get our word mortuary, which is where you find dead bodies, mortify, necrao. Necrao means to kill off all these deeds, which is the same thing as the works of the flesh. And then it will say later on in the chapter, put on. That's the same thing as the fruit of the Spirit. Over back here, the same thing as the fruit of the Spirit. Put on, and it will go into all the righteous things. And you'll find this same thing in Ephesians 4. It'll say, put on, put on the new man. I keep saying this. Goodness, why? I don't know how preachers have missed this. You got two people in you, and he's going to tell you about those two people in Romans 7. After he says, 
All the things that I do, it's not me that do it, but it's sin that's dwelling in me. I love the seventh chapter because it tells you exactly what I'm trying to express to you here. Tells you exactly. So, I don't exactly sometimes know which one I want to go to. Let me do this. Let me take you back to uh, back to Romans 7. And you got to see each one of these is talking about killing off the works of the flesh. Look back at Romans 7. I've gone through this, but I haven't gone through it in detail like I should. What I'm going to do is go back and I'm going to stay on this subject Romans 7. Romans 7. And I want you to watch what it does. It's going to tell you the man who enters into God's Sabbath ceases from his own ergon works. Remember, the ergon of the flesh is these in Galatians 5, and it gives you the works of the flesh. And then it tells you the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit are the fruit of God's work of the Spirit. When the Bible says it's God that worketh in you to will and to do of His good pleasure, there in Philippians 2.13, it's God that worketh. The word worketh is E-N-E-R-G-E-O. It comes from ergon, which is works, and in. This is the word worketh. It's God that worketh in you to will and to do of his good pleasure. So God is working inside of us, to causing us to put on. He's causing us to put on. And when you find... In Ephesians, and the Bible says, put on, it's always an imperative command. An imperative command is exactly that. It's a command. There's no choice in a command from God. We will all have to put these things on. When the Bible says in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, Starting in verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God. Put on is the word in duo. Ephesians 6.11. Put on. That's the same thing as many of you have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Same word. So when you get into Ephesians 6.11 and he starts, starts naming, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Well, that's a command from God that you do that. And he talks about peace and faith. You say, Jim, I can't remember all this. You don't have to remember it. If you believe God, it'll be going on in your heart. You don't have to remember all this. If you, 
put on the whole armor of God, you may be able to stand against the wilds before we rest not against flesh and blood, against principalities, against powers, against the ruler of the darkness. Wherefore, taking you this armor, putting on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you may be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Those are not your choice. That's a command to put on. You have to. Can you do that all of a sudden? No. How long did it take me to mature? When you're 81, if you're not mature, you're crazy. I wanted me when I was young. I wanted to be a famous singer. I had the voice. I had a great tenor voice. But sometimes God will give you something that he don't want you to do so he can take it away from you. And he took it away from me. He gave me a severe bronchial asthma and I got to where I couldn't. I can't sing. When I don't have a song leader, I can't sing two songs without being wore out. And my voice just is given away. I thank God he took it away from me because I wouldn't have quit. And you won't ever quit as long as you can do something you're not supposed to be doing. That's fun. Now, where was I going? Okay, let's look down here in in Romans 7. i got to really give you this. How much time do I have, Mike? All right, maybe I've got time to get through this. All right. If you look down here in verse 14 of chapter 7. For we know that the law is spiritual. I am carnal. The word am is the word am. E-I-M-E-I-M-I. Let me erase this up there. This is a chapter that really confuses a lot of people. It confuses them because they don't know that they've got. And this chapter is going to tell you this. They've got an inner man, which is Christ in you. And the Jews said, wherever the king was, the kingdom was consummate. That's why in John in Luke seventeen, twenty and twenty one, when the Pharisee says, Are you going to restore the kingdom at this time? And Jesus said, The kingdom of God is in you. Whew. That's a powerful word. The kingdom of God is not gosh, if I'm not careful, I'll get off on something. There's not a millennium after this is all over. There's not a thousand-year reign. Though the Bible said there was, that's a bad translation. The word is kilia in John 20, in Revelation 20. Kilia is plural, and thousand is not plural. Thousand is not an adjective. An adjective tells which, what kind of, and how many. Well, it looks like that says how many years it is. I'm sorry. It is a noun. It's a noun just like dozen is a noun. 
Well, dozen, dozen is singular. The old ancient writer said any multiple of ten, a hundred, or a thousand is a form of the original number. It's, it's two thousand or more. It has to be. The only reason in Revelation 20, Satan is bound for a thousand years for one reason. He is Dio. He is forbidden. From deceiving the nations for this 2,000 year period. Nation is the word ethnos. It's the exact same word as Gentile. Why they translated nations, I don't know. It, everybody's putting their opinion into that translation between. 1605 and 1611 when they released the King James Bible. And the whole reason there's a 2,000 year period where Satan cannot deceive the Gentiles from Acts 2 to the end of time. I believe we're close to the end. I'm not naming times. That's foolish to do that. But I do believe all these things that's going on in the world, the coronavirus, the Ebola, AIDS, the, the nation rising against nation, that's actually ethnos rising against ethnos. It's Gentiles against Gentiles. Satan cannot deceive the Gentile church, which is spiritual Israel. Gentile church for a 2,000 year period from Acts 2 to the end of time. Now, Acts 2 was around, we know it was somewhere in the neighborhood of 33 AD. 2,000 years from then, 2033. Boy, if we get to that, I will be greatly surprised. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that is what a lot of scholars believe. That's what was in the epistle of Barnabas. Now, let's get back to this. I, another reason there can't be any time after the end of time, the main reason, there are seven trumpets... In Revelation 8, Revelation 8, 9, and 10. When the seventh one sounds in 10 and 7, Christ has come back. He's got one foot on the land, the other on the sea, and he says these words, Time is no more at the sounding of the seventh trumpet, and we're going to be changed at the last eschatos trumpet. It means the last in a series after which no other trumpet will sound. There's no pre-trib rapture. There is no millennium. That goes against all the preachers in America, especially all the conservatives. How can there be time after there is no time? I want to ask anybody that, any of the heads of the Southern Baptist Convention, how can there be time when there is no time? 
Time is no more. At the signing of the last trumpet, the mystery of God is finished. The mystery of God is the church in Ephesians 3 and Ephesians 5. Finished is the word teleot, T-E-L-E-I-O-S. It means complete. The last one comes into the fold. Now, I know what got me on that, but I need to get off of it. So, there's no pre-trib rapture. We're going to be changed at the last trump. Don't you guys know that? After the tribulation of those days, Matthew 24, 29, the Lord shall send his angels with the great sound of a trumpet after the tribulation. I don't know why I'm the only guy that can see that. Time factor. They try to come up and say, this is a secret coming in First Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. What do you mean secret coming? The Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. Kaluo. War cry. Now, what's he doing making a war cry at the last trump? It's not a war cry. What's he doing? Say, attack. Now, let's go off to heaven and be quiet for seven years. It's crazy. You preachers, what's wrong? I know where it started. J.N. Darby brought that to America in the 1830s, and everybody latched on to it. And C.I. Schofield is the guy that propagated it. It's not true. I don't know why you can't add things up in the Bible. I look at everything from a mathematical viewpoint. I have loved mathematics ever since I was a kid. I've analyzed everything all my life, and I look at the last trump, and time is no more, and you say there's a thousand-year tribulation after this. And it's the Jews that cannot be deceived over this 2,000-year period. Are the Gentiles? There's a Gentile church for 2,000 years. I don't know what's wrong with preachers. They, I know what's wrong with them. They read some statement of some free will statement of faith and then ignore what the Bible says. I look at the Bible for myself. I don't follow anybody's statement of faith. I've spent my life digging in this book. And I can't come up with the answers of these other people. I come up with predestination because it's in the Bible. It just galls me. Let me finish this in Romans 7. I am carnal. Am is a form of the verb to be. It means to exist. Am is present tense, active voice. Active means, Paul is doing this himself. He says, I am sarkikos. That's sarkikos, S-A-R-K-I-K-O-S. Carnal is the form of the word flesh, S-A-R-X. Carnal. This is the word flesh. Sarkikos is a form of socks. I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, present tense, present tense, do, katergadzomai, K A T E R. A G 
E-G-O, Cater, excuse me, Katergadzomai, G-A-Z-O-M-A-I. That which I fully accomplish, present tense. The reason people don't like this is because it's talking about you got this fleshly man here that don't want to do right, and the inner man is fighting the outer man in your flesh. That which I do, I allow not. Allow is the word gnosko. means present tense. I don't really know what I'm doing in this man. Gnosko. Present tense. I don't allow it in my flesh, but it happens. <sighs> For what I would, phalo, T-H-E-L-O. This is what I want to do, E-L-O. Phalo, that's the same word as the wind bloweth where it listeth, where it wills to blow. So is every man that's born of the Spirit. The Spirit blows where it wills to blow. It blows upon God's elect and brings His elect alive. That which I would, I will or determined to do, I do not. Do is the word prasso. We got a word practice from that. I don't practice that in my life, what I really want to do. That's also present tense, active voice. And that do I not. But what I hate, that's what I do. God tells you how you do this. He tells you how you do it because he says down there at the end of this chapter, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this physical body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. So this flesh, the works of the flesh, are these. The ergon is the outer man that's in the flesh. And he don't want to do right. Does anybody here understand what this means? Your flesh don't want to do right. It wants to live wrong. And as you live through the years, God crushes you under his hand and beats you with a whip until you, he scourges every son he receives so we can become partakers of his holiness and get rid of that outer man and mortify the deeds of the flesh. I want to get away from this flesh. This flesh has got me in more trouble than anything in my life. And what I hate, that's what I do. That's what I poeo, present tense. That's what I do. That's what I practice. Then I do that which I would not thalo. That's in verse 16. Thalo comes from the word thalema. And thalema, that's a form of thalo. And thalema means to determine. And that's the same word in John one thirteen. John one thirteen. We were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God's will. That's thalema, and it's a form of thalo. So Paul is comparing 
the things that he would do is not what God would do. And I consent, I consent unto the law. That word consent, sum for me, sum for me, S-U-M-P-H-E-M-I. Sum for me, I consent. Consent means to speak with, to speak or did I write sum for me? Okay. 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 Sum for me. For me, I've brought that out before. Sum means with. I consent to the inner man that what he's saying to me is good. I'm consenting to it. Uh, and it's present tense. All these are present tense through here. Unto the law that is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it. Catogazomai. He said, it's not me. It's sin that sent me. That's the outer man. How can you have the outer man sinning and the inner man not sinning? First John 1 and 8 says, Whosoever is born of God does not commit sin. That's the inner man. Doesn't commit sin. For the seed of Christ remains in him, and he cannot sin because he's born of God. But the Bible also says in 1 John 1 and 8, if we say we have no sin, have is present tense. If we say we don't have any, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. What's going on here is this inner man is going to work on us with fire and trials over the years. And we're going to learn to mortify this outer deeds of the flesh. We're going to mortify the works of the flesh. We're going to mortify the works, the ergon of the flesh, which is adultery and fornication and so forth. And we're going to learn to rest in Christ. But that takes years. I'm resting more than I've ever rested. Well, I wasn't resting at 45. I wanted to get rich in real estate. I wasn't resting at 35. I wanted to be world famous in music. I've never rested like this before. I don't fight nobody. I won't argue with you two sentences. Won't do it. If you insist on believing foolishness, then go go your way. Only God can change you. I can't change anybody. Verse 17, Now then it is no more I that do, but sin that dwelleth in me. That word dwelleth, O-K-O-U-S-A. O-K-O-U-S-A. Okusa comes from oikos, which is the word house. Sin is housed in me, in this outer man. That's why Paul is saying later on, who will deliver me from the body of this death? I'm so sick of me. I'm tired of me. I had to get tired of me when God put me in the hospital in my mid-40s, and I thought I was dying. But I'm really thankful he did that because that's when he started really changing me. I've been a believer since I was a little boy. God has beat me up real bad. 
until I say, let's do it your way, Lord, and I'm not going to fight nobody anymore. Some of you that are out there watching, you fought me. I won't fight you if you come back around me. I'll just say you don't need to be here. Go down the street. I don't have time to fight. It's foolishness. Have you ever noticed every argument you ever had, you never won any of them? You don't ever win arguments. They walk away mad, you walk away mad. Let them have their way. If God don't want to deal with somebody, why are you trying to? Why did I try to? For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth. Oiki. It's the house. It's housed in me in that outer man. Dwelleth no good thing. For to will, thaline, a form of thalo, a form of thalema, is God. We were born of the will of God, not of man. For the will is present. It's here right now. Parakimai. That's the word present. Kimai means to lay out. It's parakimai. Present. P-A-R-A-K-E-I-M-A-I. Kimai means to lay out. Para means near. It's our word parallel. Parakimai. To will is present. That's the word parakimai. It's laid out there with me. It's laid out. It's parallel in my life with this other man, with this inner man. To will is present with me and how to perform. How to perform that which is good I don't find in me. For the good that I would, Thalo, that I determined to do, I don't do it. I don't poeo it. Remember poeo, P-O-I-E-O? Remember that word? The word ergon means to work. And the word poeo means to work something beautiful. It means to paint a mosaic, something that has meaning. I don't want a poeo. I, I keep wanting a poeo, but I keep just ergon. I keep working in the flesh. For if I do, if I poeo, that I would thalo. He's got thalo all through here. He's got poeo all through here. He's got katrogadzama all through here. Fully accomplished. Thalo means to determine. I can't determine right in my life. I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth. Oikeo, it's housed in me. It's no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would... Thalo, determine, when I determine to do good, Thalo, good, and I want to perform good, evil is present with me. 
Well, this is a hard chapter. The reason people call me on to say, what does it mean? I say, it means what it says. For I delight in the law of God after this inward man. That's Christ in you, the hope of glory. But I see another law in my members, the outer man, warring against the law of my mind. It's warring. The word war is the word anti stratuomai anti a n t i s t r a t u e o m a i see this word stratu stratuo we got our word strategy from that it's a military term i see this war going on in my mind people don't read this chapter because they don't want to know this that's why they don't and that's why they don't understand it they don't want to own up to the fact that they've got this war going on in them it's the inner and the outer man and each one of these chapters is about giving up mortifying the outer man and living in the inner man and putting on the inner man but put on you don't do that one day that's just like adding to your faith. Add it. Add. Besides all this, give all diligence. Add E P I C H O R E G E O. Epicorego is the word add. Boy, it don't look like it, does it? In Second Peter one and five. One and five, and he names seven things you have to add. And he says, when you add these seven things, you'll never fall. He starts off with, with a rete. A rete is virtue. It means to be mature. How long does it take you to mature? How long does it take you to add epi, C-H-O-R-O-S, that's a circular dance, among the Jews, and I'll go means to a dance leader. We get a word choreography from that. Epi means to cover your life with God's choreography. It's this dance of seven things. If you add them, you'll never fall. You won't add it because you want to. That's an imperative command. And everybody will become virtuous and you will add knowledge that's what you're doing sitting here listening to me. You're adding knowledge. And then he goes into patience, the trying of your faith. It's not something you're going to try to do. It's something God commands you to. You say, I can't remember all this. You don't have to remember it. It'll be going on in your heart as a believer. And you'll be giving up the works of the flesh. And then he says, Mike, do I have any time? He didn't say that. All right, let's see if we can get through this. But I see it, verse 28, 23. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing, bringing Akimazidzo make captive to lead away 
I see a law of my mind bringing me into captivity to the law of sin. I'm being drugged into sin by that outer man. God's got to conquer that outer man in us. It takes a long time for him to do it. Which is in my member. Then he says those magic words. Oh, wretched man that I am. Am is present tense. It's a form of the verb to be. I am a wretched man. It actually says in the original text, Oh, wretched man, it is me. He's talking about the outer man. He tells you that. And then he says, Who shall deliver me from the body of this death, this deadly, this dead man that's in me, my flesh? And he tells you exactly who it is in verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God. That's his inner man. But with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. And over the years, God's going to scourge every son he receives. Mastics. The scourge was a little short whip. Had pieces of glass and bone in it. That's what Jesus got. Usually people were beaten by the scourge would die from it. They couldn't suffer this and then go to a cross. They couldn't have both of them. And then, so he scourges every son he receives so we will be partaker of his holiness, of the inner man. So he puts us through fire, trials, persecution, Every kind of physical thing, bankruptcies and your wife leaving you and your husband leaving you and having an affair on you and you getting sick and you want the kids to get real sick or maybe one of your kids dies. And he puts you through all this fire to mold you into that mature person that he wants you to be. This is not some decision you make. You keep going after sin in the flesh. And every one of these chapters will tell you all about this. In Second Corinthians, the fourth chapter, it's going to talk about the inner and the outer man. And the inner and the, the outer man is the sin that we live in and the desire for self. Self, demons are self. Jesus said so. Jesus rebuked that man with the unclean spirit. He said he had an unclean spirit, but he didn't. He just had self. Jesus rebuked him. A-U-T-O. That's our word, auto. Automobile is self-mobile. He rebuked self. Boy, as long as people think there's demons out there, nobody's going to ever deal with their own sin with that outer man. And that's what we have to deal with. Then, so now you understand, it takes understanding this whole chapter to understand when we go to the third chapter of Colossians 
and the fifth chapter of Galatians. We've gone through the the seventh chapter of Romans, and you go into all of these other chapters like the second Timothy, the fifth chapter, and the last, the third chapter, in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then he tells you all of the evil ways that man will be in the last days. They'll be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, despisers of those that are good. And I'm going to go through all these characters, all these characters, characterizations of man. And what he's talking about is that outer man. And the only thing that will conquer this outer man is an inner birth. And that's been birthed by Christ. Then when you go to the next chapter, when you go to the next chapter, he says in verse 1 of chapter 8, There is therefore. Therefore is a conjunction. It's a coordinating conjunction and it connects everything that's been said in chapter 7 with chapter 8. Therefore, there is therefore, I'm fixing to connect with you everything that has been said about the inner and the outer man with with chapter 8. And chapter 8 talks about that inner man overcoming this outer man of the flesh or this carnal man. And it'll take you all the way, it'll take you all through chapter 8 till you get to chapter tw- to verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, prognosco, he also did predestinate, prohorizo, To be conformed. Now, this is what predestination's about. He predestined us, predetermined us for the light. Horizo is our word horizon. There's a diacritical mark. That's an H sound, a breathing sound. So, horizo, the Latins put an end on it. So, he's predetermined us for horizon that would be, we would be conformed. You cannot leave the thoughts of of chapter 7 to get to chapter 8. There is therefore everything he's talking about through verse chapter 8 is connected to chapter 7. Because he goes on to say, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. He only knew a certain people. He knew the few. Only a few will enter into the narrow way. Narrow is the word thalibo, T-H-L-I-B-O. It's a form of the word thalipsis, which is the word tribulation. So God's going to have to take that outer man through much tribulation, much fire, to cause him to be willing to vote for this, vote with this inner man that the outer man has to die, has to die to self and he has to die to the works of the flesh so he can enter into God's spiritual Sabbath. That's what it's about. I have never rested in my life like I'm resting now. I'm just really at rest.
I'm not frustrated anymore. I was frustrated in my mid-50s. <laughs> That's hard to believe, isn't it? I was frustrated probably up to 60. And boy, I began to say, am I out of my mind? Am I crazy? I used to get mad at people in my 50s, people that start trouble at the church. and I don't get mad at them anymore. I say, don't do that here, please. Go somewhere and do that. Go somewhere else and do that. When you get into these chapters, I'm going to have to go into these chapters. Chapter 3, chapter 2 Timothy, the third chapter. I've got to go through all these works of the flesh and show that God is going to put us through fire and trials and persecution. And I put these concentric circles in here because that is the type of the fire that he's putting us through to burn out self or pride or anger or rage. So this inner man, you'll still have part of the inner man the day you die. But the main thing you want it to be, you want it to be as little as possible, this outer man. You want it, most men, when they're 85 and 90, they're not frustrated like they were at 40, 45. Milton used to come here before he died. He was 95 years old. And I'd say, Milton, I'd see him over at the house when we'd meet and package up DVDs and everybody would bring some food and he'd pile his food, pile his plate full of fattening foods. And I'd say, Milton... Eat the dessert first, because you don't know how long you have left. <laughs> I say, Milton, that's going to kill you. He said, he's 95. You'd say, so? <laughs> he wanted to die anyway. He said, I'm ready to go. And he finally passed on, went to be with the Lord. I loved old Milton very much. He was just, had a calming effect on him. Just, I'm not that far away. I mean, 14, 13 and a half years from 95. I don't even want to live that old. I won't be able to stand up at 95. Don't do that. I don't have that long to live. I, you can't at 81. You can't have that long to live. Most men died 83, 84, 85. A few live up in the late 80s. Does, am I being pitiful? No. I really desire to go be with the Lord. I really do. But like Paul said, I have a desire to be with Christ, which is better than this. Nevertheless, it's more necessary for the church that I remain. The only reason I want to remain is to guide the church, take care of my wife and make sure that she's okay. And my grandson's. My son and his wife and you here at the church, I want to teach people how to live. The thing is, you say, but I can't get over my sin. Well, how old are you? 35? Who can at 35? You can't get over the outer man all of a sudden. The Bible says, kill it off. I love that word mortified, nakrao. Kill off the works of the flesh, which are these. And he starts telling you what it takes. But it takes a long time to get out of that outer man. So those of you, I have people calling me say, I'm going through such hard times. I say, well, you know you're supposed to, don't you? I have people tell me, 
Nobody else talks to me the way you do. I said, well, you're supposed to have a difficult time. We must do much tribulation into the kingdom of God. Hey, if the righteous scarcely be saved, mogus with great difficulty. Well, you're supposed to be going through difficult times. Don't you know that yet? So when you get over here to Romans 8 and 29, for whom he did foreknow, right before that it's talking about groaning. Groaning, groaneth and groan, and groanings are all a form of stenos. That is the word straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And only a few find this straight gate. The word groan is the word stenazo. It's the verb form of straight. Stenazo is the word groan. So while you're going through this straight and narrow way, you're going to be groaning. You're supposed to. You can't go to heaven without the groaning, without the straight and narrow way. Narrow is the word tribulation, basically. So without groaning and being going through tribulation, without having a tough time, it's supposed to be hard. You can't get there otherwise. You can't you can't go to heaven tiptoeing through the tulips, going, Whoopee, praise God, I love Jesus with all my heart. That is phony as a three dollar bill. And I think they're phony, aren't they? Do I have any time, Mike? Three. three minutes. What can I say in three minutes? I got a whole lot more to say. When you're talking, this inner and outer man is one of my favorite subjects because it's every. It, you know what it is? It's sin, the outer man, versus righteousness. Righteous, holy, godly living. I used to think people talked about godly, righteous, holy living when I was young, a young preacher. I used to think those are people who are hypocrites. No, they're old and they come further than you have. And they know what that means. Until you want to live godly and righteously and holy. If you never want to live that way, then you don't belong to God. Because he's, he's going to see to it that we do this. He's going to see to that. With all those imperative commands and moods. An imperative mood, when Jesus is mortified, that's an imperative command. Just like Epicurego ad. Just like put on. All those are imperative commands. And that's just as much a command from God as let there be light. And there was light. When God commands something, do you have to do it? Well, yeah, you do. But it's going to be from the beginning of your life to the end of your life. And back here, you're going to be young and impetuous and you're going to be you're going to be presumptuous and proud and arrogant being a young believer 
and you're going to say, I can do what I want and I've already got saved and I can go out here and uh, live the way I want and I can go out and make money and become somebody famous. If God don't stop you on that trail, you don't belong to God. He stopped me dead in my tracks. And I began to cry to God, Oh God, I am so sorry for being such a fool that I am. I'll come back next week and we'll continue this story because i got to go through these other chapters. i got to go through mortifying the deeds of the flesh and then giving you the opposite of that, put on. And he says those words in Colossians 3, put on. He says the same thing in Ephesians 4, put on the new man. The new man is the inner man. But you, it's like, put on new man that comes that starts with the beginning of your salvation life he that hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ and that's the same thing as saved sozo he will save he has saved you he is saving you and what's he saving you from yourself Well, I'm through. Let's pray. Father, thank you for truth. Thank you for this message because it encourages us to realize that we have this overwhelming desire for self. We've got to get over ourselves. Usually it's hurting our pride, Lord, and, our, and what we want to do and what we want to accomplish and how we want to rise up in the ranks of this world, Lord. Teach us that's not what you called us to. We'll give you the praise for everything that happens in our life, the good and the evil. The evil you bring to our life is for our good. It's to get rid of that outer man. Thank you for that. Fight our battles, Lord. We can't fight them anymore. We'll give you praise for everything in Christ's name. Amen. I had so much more to say on this, I can't get to it all.